for joining us, the Wealthy Retailer Podcast with your host, Dan Holman. Every episode, Dan dives into the retail headlines that matter to you, the independent retailer, covering topics ranging from retailer inventory, technology, marketing, retailers' questions, and more. The Wealthy Retailer Podcast is brought to you by Canadian Retail Solutions. Learn more at retailbycrs.com. And now, here's Dan Holman. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Wealthy Retailer Podcast for the week of June 10th. Middle of June, rocking along here, Rob. What say you today? Well, I don't want to tell tales out of school, but uh, I just learned a great little tidbit about Dan this week that uh, he, he's, he's not a big fan of snakes. So Scared I think we, shitless of snakes. We should all call him Indiana Jones from, from this day forward and, and just had to be snakes and uh, doing well. Yeah, things are, are just rocking right along here. It, a lot, lots of stuff on the go, so I'm, I'm sure... Everyone's feeling that way too, starting to get busy in all the right places. And yeah, and, uh, yeah. we got some good stuff this week. Uh, a few headlines as always and, and leading into a great retailer question. But uh, yeah, our first story comes uh, a bit about, you know, the future of retail. I like this, belongs to those that make the best decisions. <laughs> and and uh, frankly, I, I would say the future of blank, uh, that would apply to whatever your industry about everything. might be. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, a story about Canadian commercial rents and, and just, you know, a bit about the trends going on, seeing it, uh, uh, strangely enough, but soaring for, for offices out of this story while retail's uh, uh, taking a dent. So we're going to hear your thoughts there. And uh, as I said, a bit of a combo, you know, you had a great uh, retailer question. We happen to have a great story that goes along with it. Uh, some of the myths and the facts about private label products. So, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to to that conversation, Dan. Um, but first off, yeah, let's uh, dive back to, uh, speaking of diving, we're to retaildive.com, where this story comes to us, just talking about the future of retail belonging to those who are making the best decisions. Uh, obviously, a few things jumped out at you in this story, Dan. Uh, what can you share? Well, I, I loved, loved this article, and I'm going to say it's a must read. You got to click the link in the weekly newsletter to read this article written by Deloitte's chief commercial, commercial officer. Uh, her name is Christine, Christina, pardon me, Christina, Christina. <laughs> Let's start over. Her name is Christina Beniak, and she is the commercial uh, chief commercial officer with Deloitte. And this first line in her article just hit me in the feels. The key is adding data into the mix from all places and in as in as real time as possible so retailers can make better more informed decisions and every single thing rob in our store can be you know datavised or or data driven and christina goes on in this article to talk a lot about different points of data and we know that that data to us, I mean, this is our favorite topic. Let's let's let numbers lead our way, whether it's, you know, inventory numbers or scorecarding numbers or sales metrics. These are all data points that should allow us to to better steer our stores. And in this this article, Christina goes on to write that the consumer is our North Star. Everything we do must revolve around her. I mean, no better words have ever been spoken. The consumer is our North Star. You know, day after day, week after week, I talk about her and I class our customer 
always as the her and trying to coach retailers to stop thinking about your consumer from nine to 90 and really drill into who she is. And, and so Christina does a really good job of, of sort of starting this conversation by saying, hey, the consumer is our North Star. That's where every single decision must be made. And at the heart of every decision in retail, whether it's buying, pricing, merchandising, hiring, rate of pay, firing, every single decision you make impacts her. So let's let's jump back to data where really Christine sort of springboarded in this um, article and and the, the future well-being of of retail belongs to those who make the best decisions all right so the most powerful useful data in your store is driven by inventory and her yes or no vote yes she buys it or no she passes on it she doesn't buy it there are so many rob other data driven decisions to be made in your store surrounding just inventory alone, what to buy, when to buy, how much to buy, and so on and so on. Every single action in your store must rely first on data and second on your retail instinct. Your future depends on it. Data first, instinct or gut second. You know, we make this mistake, Rob, as humans, (laughs) <laughs> we make this mistake. We we act or make decisions on what we believe to be true ahead of what is proven truth. So um, rule of thumb, heuristics are all belief in what's true, not proven truth. And data is the black and white in our colorful retail world that keeps us steered in the right direction. And she must, 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 she, you, the retailer, must first rely on numbers, on data, and then this this talent that you have that is instinct and gut. It is the art. I really enjoyed the parallel that she drew to driving. You know, if you think back, so way back, speaking of, speaking of stars, you know, yeah, the stars would guide you. But yeah. then eventually, you know, a map, printed map. And then, you know, as, as uh, we progress, we get into, you know, digital maps and, okay, mm-hmm. there's the quickest route. But now we, you know, to pick on that, that uh, point of real-time data, now you've got your maps integrated with real-time traffic. Right. So it's not necessarily the fastest, you know, a route from point A to point B, it's, you know, the most efficient based on, you know, traffic accidents, all yeah, these yeah, yeah. things. And it's that real time data. And, and, and when you think of it that way, uh, in terms of the timeliness of, of that data, it sure kind of hit, hits home because it's not necessarily the quickest way each time. Right. And, and quickest isn't always the best. We make this mistake. I mean, this is like saying, you know, perfection is more important than progress. My God, there's never been more backwards thinking that, you know, perfection is what I should be striving for. Progress is what we should strive for. You know, we think about this map and how often have we used that analogy? We put a dot on the map and that's where we're going and we're going to figure out how to get there. Real-time data, data that is actionable today allows me to get there quicker. Yep. Right? If I don't have that real-time data, this might not be the shortest route to retail success, 
but it is going to be the path that's riddled with the least amount of detour when you use data to make those decisions. I like to marry when and when, what's important now and what's achievable now. And using real data, real-time data, allows me to marry important and achievable. Yeah. Or let me recognize that while this is important, it may not be achievable today. So let's not spend a bunch of energy. No matter what analogy we come up with, Rob, we're going to fall back on data. Every single aspect in your life is driven by some level of data, artificial or otherwise. And the story really gets to, uh, uh, as well, the predictive aspect right. of, of the data too and, and how, how it can guide you big time. Right. Right, Listen, right now. Yeah. You know, predictive analytics is something that that is relatively new for a lot of retailers. And the fear of predictive analytics um, is, is prevalent in retail right now. But predictive analytics is really systems defining outcomes. The systematic way we roll through things defines our outcome. If I know what I'm going to do, I can then better predict what's going to happen, which is all predictive analytics is. It is just way more intelligent than you and I. And it just aligns a bunch of data points and says, look at this is this is the purchasing history of your customer. If you bring this in, this is what she's going to buy from you. That is predictive or, or yeah. artificial intelligence at its best. In your experience, has it gone like uh, uh, making that that switch, like you say, going from your gut to the, the predictive side. It, I imagine it's hard for retailers to make the full out switch. Do you say 100%. like, you know, okay, let's make two decisions. One, you go with your gut and one, let's go with the, what the Listen, predictive model's saying. How do you do I'm that? Working, do you yeah, that? I'm working with a store right now. Um, and yesterday on a consulting call or on a coaching call that we had, we were looking at the data inside a category, it happened to be handbags. We're looking at the data inside handbags and saying, this is a category you need to reinvest in. And the retailer saying, I don't sell handbags. I'm like, well, the data tells us differently. Well, I looked and I didn't like anything that I saw. Or I didn't like what I bought. I'm not going to buy just to spend money. No, I 100% agree with that. But here's where data is telling us to do something. And a retailer saying, no, no, I'm not quite there yet. And for me, it's like, I'm okay. It's okay. You know, I want you to think about, I want you to bury this opportunity in your mind when you go to market and be on the lookout and, and remember these words, there is opportunity in bags. There is opportunity in bags, right? Change the way you think. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that was data telling us that not, yeah. not my messed up opinion, right? <laughs> It's data that's telling us that. And so now I need that data opportunity to come to life in that retailer's action and presentation and creativeness and go and look for that. And when she passes a bag as she's going down the aisle at market, hopefully she'll hear there is opportunity in bags. <laughs> I love that. Makes me think of the old Days of Thunder movie with Tom Cruise, the, the old pit boss saying, you, you run 10 laps any way you want to run it. Yeah. And you run 10 laps the way I want you to run it. And, and yeah. we'll let's see who's best. Yeah. Let's see what's left on the car. Uh, yeah. Right on. 
Uh, great stuff. Uh, um, really enjoyed that. Uh, on to our next story, Dan, comes from betterdwelling.com. Yeah. Uh, into the dwellings, into the real estate side of things. It shares some data. Um, any surprises here for you, Dan, or, or what jumped out? Well, I, you know, I'm going to say, I mean, a little surprised, a little inspired. Rent has has long been this troubling expense for many retailers. Yep. And the shift demonstrated here by Better Dwelling is a bit inspiring for me. Their stats show that commercial rent is increasing year over year by about 3%, while retail is decreasing by 3 The Toronto market shows... Uh, retail rents down about 5%, Vancouver's down about 6%, and this is going to swing in favor of better retail rates. Um, you know, we've seen in, in almost every market, the one that you and I live in as well, these yeah. soaring real estate prices across the country, man. It's crazy that that we're seeing residential retail prices climb and climb and climb and climb and climb. And we really expected to push commercial rates higher as those real estate rates went up. But pandemic lockdowns, of course, made office spaces and, and retail stores like ghost towns. And commercial tenants and commercial you know, utilization, commercial companies, businesses must have this belief that it's just temporary because commercial office space is on the incline, almost vacant you know, mostly empty spaces are fetching higher lease rates than than we've ever seen. So yeah. they have to have this belief. Yeah, in a, talk in about a, the long lens, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have this really strong belief in the bounce back, right? And no matter what commercial real estate circle I listen to or swim in, yeah, they're saying the same thing. Okay, it's a little crazy, but things are crazy. Yep. It's a little strange, but things are crazy. And so, you know, the question I ask us, you know, perhaps why why are retail rates dropping? You know, every every business on that commercial side is ultra confident in the bounce back. Why are retail rates dropping? Well, I got to say, you can thank the big dogs that have fallen before us, man. Retail has this dark risk-ridden persona that er is erroneously cast over all retail, including our independence. Yep. The, the sad reality, again, falls on the media, fuckers, the media who, who <laughs> like to talk only about headlines that are driven, retail headlines, that are driven by big chains floundering. You can bet your ass every single person has heard that Disney's closing, closing 60 stores or Macy's closing 45 or Bed right. Bath & Beyond closing 43. The list goes on and on and on. And continuously casting this pending retail apocalypse on, 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 on the audience. And it's just not happening. We're not seeing an apocalypse. We're seeing a resurgence in retail, especially on the independent level. So, you know, I, I, what does this rental decline really mean for us, Rob? Yeah, It maybe means the ability to renegotiate our leases based on market rents or even better, get really opportunistic and look for new expansion opportunities. Now, as retail rates start to soften a bit, because listen, you know, as much as I love to slam mainstream media for, you know, spreading the negative, not the positive, 
the, the reality is, you know, 45 Disney stores closing opens up a retail opportunity for a retailer. And typically these stores that I just mentioned, you know, Macy's Bed Bath & Beyond, uh, Best Buy, you know, these guys occupy pretty staple real estate and it's going to hurt the landlords and the landlords are going to have to make this decision. You know, what's more important, the demand yeah. or the supply? If I'm going to listen to demand, I'm going to have to drop my prices down to increase. I've got too much supply. I got to lower my prices for yeah. the retail audience. And the same isn't happening in commercial real estate right now. There is a fair amount of supply and a significant amount of demand and, and, you know, demand is increasing pricing. The lack of demand in retail is lowering pricing, yep. which is an opportunity for us. Well, I, th I think it is great news on the, like you say, that long-term trend that the, 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 big, the big, big boys uh, obviously have a lot of confidence uh, move, mm -hmm. moving forward. You've talked in the past about seizing upon some of these opportunities that this reinforces that there, there's some deals to be had. Uh, you, you talked about doing some uh, percentage deals or yeah. um, are, are you seeing any success in that out there right now, Dan, or, or are folks pursuing that? I think we're seeing more and more opportunity to steer towards some percentage rent where we become good partners. You know, the landlords have done a good job of, um, of being healthy partners and recognizing that, hey, that lease rate that we were charging, you know, eight months ago has been a challenge for you. And, and depending on where you are in Canada, it's yeah. been a significant challenge. You know, Ford Nation down there in Ontario completely locked down everything. There's no chance a retailer can pay their rent. So any opportunity there is to do some business, smart, smart retailers went to their landlords and said, look, my doors are locked. I can't pay fixed rent. How about we talk about some variable rent? Let me keep yep. trying to drive some e-com business and I'll give you a percentage of that to help offset the rent that I am not going to pay in a closed building. And I think more and more, are been, not I think, I can tell you for certainty, yep. more and more landlords have said, yes, great, great idea. Let's work through this together versus no, here's the demand letter, pay the rent or get out. But they don't want vacancy. Yeah. Yeah. They want to cut good deals well, and it's happening. Yep. Interesting story. As Dan said, uh, we'll have the link to that story in uh, this week's newsletter. If you haven't yet signed up at retailbycrs.com. This podcast is brought to you by Canadian Retail Solutions. We've been empowering retailers across North America for 30 years with the latest in point of sale technology, best in class support, merchandise intelligence with open to buy planning and much more. CRS has the retail solution to help take your retail business to the next level of success. Visit RetailByCRS.com to learn more. Remember, Canadian Retail Solutions exists to help make you, the independent retailer, better. Okay, Dan. This is a good one. I'm excited about this. I love this, uh, you know, the, the whole concept of uh, a retailer producing their own goods yeah. it comes to you this week as the retail question, but we also happen to have a story that just goes perfectly with it. These five myths and facts about private label products. So take yeah. us away, roll, roll it all into one for us. <laughs> so I'll try to package it up. This was my favorite headline from last week. It was, it was one of the topics that I saved I saved this article from last week because I got this question from Catherine in Vancouver. And 
Catherine says, uh, hi, Dan, I have a ladies art to wear store in Gastown and would love some ideas on producing my own goods. Thank you so much. So uh, Gastown, little neighborhood inside uh, City of Van, um, and, and Catherine is really looking for opportunities. Uh, to perhaps produce her own goods. And there are really two ways, Rob, okay. um, for retailers to represent their own goods. Number one is this direct manufacturing. Number two is to private label goods. And the latter, private labeling goods, really means sewing your label into already produced goods. This might, in fact, be the best option for entrance to market with your own branded products. So I'm gonna use this article that was in entrepreneur.com written by Steve Tan. Man, oh man, this guy did a great job. And we're gonna use this article as a bit of a springboard for this topic. The private label business has been around or model has been around for decades. And just as business trends have shifted due to you know, technology changes, yep. economic changes, changes in consumer behavior. Private labeling has also evolved, especially in the last 15 months. And Steve shared his five myths about private labeling goods. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to regurgitate those myths for you, um, and then we can maybe springboard a little bit from there. So his okay. myth number one: all private labels are inferior in quality. And though this claim used to have some basis, it doesn't hold true for all private label brands. Gone are the days when knockoffs, knockoffs comprised of most of the private label goods sold in physical and digital stores. Today, high quality and premium private labels are a trend. Additionally, because consumers are now more conscious of their buying decision, most private label distributors have become more conscious of the quality in their offering, even if it means sourcing higher cost goods. So the fact here, most private label products have pretty decent quality. In fact, I'm gonna say impressive quality. In some cases, they can be of comparable caliber to large national brands. And so, yes, let's not uh, allow this to sort of sugarcoat what we're talking about here. There's lots of shit out there in the market. And, you know, cautiously add your brand to some of that shit. Really, we've got to do our homework. We've got to look for the brands. You know, it's not about high margin, high margin, low quality, right? You get what you pay for. It's about going after a private label brand that complements who and what you are and ensuring that that quality is complementary, not deteriorating to your brain, a brand, pardon me. Yep. So uh, Steve's myth number two, private label products are cheaper than their national brand counterparts. Well, Private label brands usually spend less on manufacturing, less on marketing, which is why they keep their prices to a minimum. Yep. But I'm going to say this. Some private label products aren't super affordable. Private label, again, is adding our brand to already produced goods, right? This, this will include items, as Steve noted, this will include items that have undergone rigorous customizations or made with premium material, right? Naturally that resulting in a higher price point. 
So the fact is here, not all private label products are cheap. Some brands are really stepping up their game so they can price their products more competitively in the brand arena. Sounds like there's a lot of choice too, like for the retailer to like, well, how do you want to position it? Do you want right. to position it as premium or, or do you want to position it as discount to make well, your other yeah. lines look better? <laughs> you know, And all of that is available. And I coach my retailers on utilizing things like uh, San Pedro Mart. We'll talk about that a little bit here in this, in this article as we roll through, but using that San Pedro or margin markets to complement what you're already doing, to fill in some gaps around what you're doing. But that's not really what private labeling is. I mean, private labeling is going and sourcing product from a vendor, from a distributor and putting your name on it. Now, it's a little bit different than just relabeling offshore or Korean market goods or you know, Chinese manufactured yeah, goods. There's more to this. Okay. And furniture stores, Rob, uh, uh, furniture stores have done a fabulous job of private labeling high quality products over the years. Lots and lots of vendors are completely open to a private label relationship where they're producing a collection or a line that's exclusively yours. It's branded you, you know, it's, it's Dan by, you know, yep. Highland house. And, and I'm sure it does a hell of a job of dodging that that uh, comparative shopper out there. Where yeah, of course, of course. This I is mean, my brand. No one else has this it. Is, and this yeah. is really, you know, I think Catherine has heard me talk about this for a long time. You know, you, you stop pissing and moaning about Z Supply or Free People or, you know, Autumn Cat. Stop, stop crying, you know, about Spiritual Gangster selling to every freaking street on the every store on the corner on the street you know figure out your own stuff let's get together with these guys look at how many stores you can buy a pair of levi's jeans in in your little catchment area yeah. you know how available is it well those products aren't any different when we get into the fashion stores they are everywhere right now i mean there are five stores within a half a liter of fuel of my house that sell the exact same ladies products. Like it's crazy. And and private labeling, creating your own brand, your own, yeah. your own persona, allows you to step outside that messy arena. Messy, messy, yeah. competitive arena where you're spending three quarters of your time worrying about what Susie down the street is doing instead of working on your own business. And private labeling, Creating your own brand, your own products allows you to steer some of that energy in a healthier direction. Now, we'll talk about, yeah, I think Steve's myth number five is important to know, but let's just do uh, myth number three. Only big retailers can sell private label goods. This is just not the case anymore. That is absolutely a myth. While there are still large scale manufacturers that only accept you know, big bulk orders from big retailers, more manufacturers are teaming up with small retailers to produce goods in small batches. Small scale production can actually have plenty of benefits. For one, small scale manufacturing or production allows the manufacturer to use superior products, products, pardon me, or material without the risk of him sitting on a bunch of dead stock, yeah. stock that's not moving. For the retailer, they can position their products as limited editions and maybe price them at a premium. 
the, the fact is more and more manufacturers want to work with small retailers these days. Awesome. Uh, Steve's number four, private labeling requires orders of large quantities. Mass production is a common method used by private label manufacturers. But as we mentioned in myth number three, the shift in behavior, you know, is, is giving manufacturers this ability to decrease their minimum order quantities. MOQ is a term you'll see riddled throughout, you know, the private label world. Plus, the growing number of business owners opting for the drop shipping model, mm, drop shipping model, yeah. let's define that. Drop shipping is when I showcase a product and the vendor fulfills it for me. So I don't actually secure the inventory ahead of it selling. There are lots of examples of drop shipping going on where a retailer is showcasing product in or on her store without actually having the inventory. So the benefit to that drop shipping model, um, you know, the, the, some of those suppliers don't impose any MOQs or any minimum order requirements. And drop shippers only invest, you know, a little more in customizing the product, yep. customizing packaging, and they run their business without the risk of surplus inventory, right? Too often we spend a lot of energy, Rob, talking about our cost of goods instead of our cash margin. Right, we're we're misguided when we talk about cost of goods sold. It's a calculated number. It's a bullshit number. We need to focus more on what our cash margin is or our cost of purchase. How much is it costing me to buy that inventory, and then what sales can I generate from it instead of what's my gross margin on a sold item? Right. Let's look at cost right. of purchase or cash margin that looks at all the inventory you buy. And this idea of perhaps having a drop shipping relationship with someone. Mm, might mean I don't have to invest as much into the inventory so I can up the quality gain. Uh, so fact, here's Steve's fact. Some private label manufacturers accept smaller order volumes. Others also are accommodating drop shipping setup where you pay for products after they're sold. So that's myth number four, out the door. Number five, his last one. Every business will reap more benefits when they switch to private labeling. As appealing as private labeling can be, it isn't the best setup for everyone. Retailers have to consider the significant amount of work and resources that go into creating, you know, a capsule collection or a private label setting or private label collection, especially now with this ever expanding range of products in the market. We've got to maintain a very robust marketing strategy and aim for product differentiation to ensure survival. So the, the fact here is, while I'm a huge proponent in producing your own goods, it doesn't guarantee huge profit. As with any you know, part of retail, it takes a good amount of resource and expertise to yield retail yeah. success in private labeling. So... For Catherine, I really urged her to head to Vegas market in August, spend some time with me at sourcing. Let's walk the floor together, get a sense of the current offerings and begin to build this knowledge base to take her first leap. One of the other sort of dip your toes in the water options is what I talked about earlier, the San Pedro wholesale market has tons and tons and tons of options for uh, ladies wear stores in about every single category. So you jump on an airplane and you head to, 
you know, LA, nothing wrong with hanging out in Long Beach for a couple of days. Yep. You know, the virus is gone. We can all sort of swing freely here. Let's get down to Long Point, you know, cruise through San Pedro, get a sense of what's available in the market and what products align with me. If you're that person that's spending all your time on, you know, fair fashion go or LA showroom, you're not touching and feeling the product. You can't speak to its quality. So here's my tip for those that are um, travel adverse, risk adverse to travel right now. They're just not traveling. Buy small packs out of LA showroom or go fashion go or San yep. Pedro Mart. Buy small, small quantities. Get it in your store. Don't worry about relabeling it. Take it home, wash it, wear it, and decide, does this product fit me? And then say, hey, yeah, this is good for me. Now, how do I go about relabeling these private goods? And then send me an email, dan at thewealthyretailer.com, and I'll connect you with um, our uh, label house and uh, consolidator for shipping to help you. Yep. Right on. It, it, you know, that, that line from a couple of weeks ago jumps back in my head of the, the vanilla being the most popular ice cream flavor, but no one will drive across town for it. Right. When you talk about a private labeling, not necessarily driving all the benefits, you know, the revenue. However, I think it will create that they'll, they'll drive across town for it, but you better damn well have vanilla <laughs> too. You've got to have, you've got to have a there. blend. You've got to yeah. have 32 flavors, right? Because it fits everybody. It's, it's the Baskin Robbins approach. There's not an ice cream flavor we don't have, you know. It's not the scoop and roll. Here's three kinds of ice cream that I'm going to roll up and toss some candy in it for you. It's yep. the original Baskin Robbins strategy. You do have something that fits every one of your audience. Not every audience member, not every consumer, yep. but your consumer, which does include some of that more vanilla product. But, Rob, it also means, you know, if she's going to drive across town for it, you've got to do a really good job marketing it. You've right. got to become an influencer of your own product. When you look and too at these many of us are not trying to do that. It is is this mostly a marketing play in your opinion, Dan, or or it's a bit of both? Like there's money to be made here. A hundred percent, there's money to be made. Marketing supports what we do, right? It it yeah. it in some cases perhaps leads some activity in our store, but it is the support mechanism, right? It is what holds our brand up, all that marketing yeah. effort. Yeah. Right. It is, you know, okay, so just pay attention. I'm going to give you some marketing tips here, Rob. It's I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is really about awareness, yeah. right? We're not really, we, we start to engage her and convert her once we've made them aware that we've got yeah. this brand, right? And putting that brand out there. Listen, nobody knows you know, how to, how to, how difficult it is to launch a brand than yours truly, you yep. know, with the, with the kids and Twig and Berries, you know, we're launching our own products. We're not, you know, we're using third-party products to help support the, who we are, but it's our own products that are driving our market and it yep. takes work. It takes a lot of effort to get people to throw on a pair of nutsack underwear. Yep. Right on. I bet this bit here, Dan, has sparked a whole bunch of questions that people might have for you. So if they have a question for yeah. you on this specific topic or, or uh, just as good, another question for a yeah. future episode, what's what's the best just, way to connect with you? Just shoot me an email at dan at thewealthyretailer.com. You know, on this private label thing, I am going to right now, right now, 
things might change, but right now I'm booked in Vegas. I'm going to be there for magic. I'm going to spend a couple of days at sourcing. Um, so if you, if you, you know, you want to, you want to come and get an introduction to sourcing, I'll be there. Just again, yeah. shoot me that email down at the wealthy Any question you have, you know, well beyond producing your own goods or private labeling or creating vendor relationships, any question at all, just fire over to Dan at the wealthy retailer.com and, and uh, we'll, we'll knock yeah. on it for you straight away. Right on. When you get back, you can say, sorry, honey, they told me I have to quarantine for two weeks at the golf course. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Look, it's not me. That's just what they told it's me. It's just but, what uh, they're saying. I'll see you in you a know bit. Me. Okay? <laughs> I'm a follower of rules. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, awesome stories this week. And, and uh, as we do every week, folks, if you haven't head to retail by CRS.com, jump in the newsletter, sign up, get a friend to sign up. We've got these stories. We've got a few more that I'm, I'm sure you'll be interested in as well. A uh, story about uh, employers, you know, how they should view apprenticeships. And and uh, I'd say not new to retail, but something that should be a, paid more attention to because there's right. a lot of opportunities coming down that way. Um, more purchases from Lightspeed. Boy, they got their credit card out and they, they're they uh, uh, buying up <laughs> stuff left, right. And Canadian company. Uh, TechCrunch story about uh, they, they've picked up two more companies and in their acquisition spree. And if you want to check out uh, more on that and uh, a little bit about a Hollywood story uh, talking about making shopping into entertainment. And uh, I, I know some some folks will enjoy that read uh, too. So great job this week, Dan. Yeah, you too, man. You too. Have a great week, everyone. Happy retailing. <laughs>